eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Hey, ladies and gents, just want to give you a quick heads up. This episode is full of fun and laughter, but we also do talk a bit about some sexual assault and some uh, racial issues based on the story of the incredible Eartha Kitt. So just so you know. Santa, baby, put something under the tree. It's a for me. That's a <laughs> And my dirty... Uh, you know, either way, whatever. We're doing an episode of Eartha Kid, and that's the way we're starting it, and I don't care. I'm so uh, sorry, Eartha Kid. I'm sorry that we've done this to you. Yes, we are talking about Eartha Kid today, and yes, she has been called two parts cat and one part woman, sprinkled liberally with dynamite powder. Whoa. I love Eartha Kid. And actually, She's just even best. in realizing I didn't even get into my deep in depth research about Ernest Scared Stupid because <laughs> her at, most important pivotal role I, that's what brought me into loving Eartha Kitt though that's hilarious and then I found everything else I, I gotta say I am shamefully uh un- I was unaware of her until this and I I wish she was my mommy <laughs> man she seems like a great mom a, and we'll get into that mom. for sure I I for me I had always meant to watch Emperor's New Groove, and this gave me the uh, excuse to finally sit down and watch that delightful film, and she's amazing in it. Probably for me, my first exposure to her was as Catwoman, because I loved the Batman and uh, live-action corny as fuck TV series back in the day with Adam West, and she was amazing in it, and uh, I was probably... Confused as to why Black uh, or Catwoman turned black after the third season, but I do welcome the change because yeah. she killed it. She fucking crushes Slink. It. She is the mother of Slink, but also again, Natalie, for the second week in a row, would you like to try it? Row, row, Still, still hard. <laughs> so it sounds like we both. So yes. it sounds like we both, uh, or all three of us. Had certain. Well, I mean, I don't know. Do you have a you have a gusher? I guess Jackie, because for us, oh, she I is think a Natalie and I were taken through, shown the ropes, as it were, about this person. An epic American tale, like just classic, insane American story that really tells the story of this country in like eight different moments. And a lot of times in a very very negative ugly yeah. realistic way which yes, i appreciate sure. very she much seems so seems like a pretty though very cold and things of that nature which was she does attribute to her upbringing which makes which total makes sense which makes sense completely that we will definitely get into she does seem like that model american person that 
that is born into horribleness and rises above it and perseveres and just become, you know, and speaks her mind and stands up for herself. And has to work every single day to be mm-hmm. herself and to get what she wants. And I was saying to the about this before we started recording, it's reminiscent of the trajectory of Joan Rivers and how no matter how much they kept knocking her back down, she was like, fuck you. You're not yeah. going to knock me down. And now Eartha Kitt, I was obsessed with again because of Ernest Scared Stupid. But then I found out that she was a singer. And I found out that she was an actress doing other Wait, awesome she did things. things other than Ernest movies? And other than Holes. Yes, she was great in Holes as well. She was also in Holes, yes. And Isma <laughs> in a group. But that's the cool thing about her is that, you know, there's so many people that know her by her nightclub act. Mm-hmm. Then there's all these, the whole other generation that yeah, knows her as this great character voice actress. But also as well for someone that had a, has always had a deep voice for a woman, I used to seek out other women that had deep voices because I wanted to feel more normal about it. And Eartha Kitt was one of the people that I used to look to. I had her records and then I had, I would buy her CDs and I would try to get other people to listen to Eartha Kitt because I just thought she was and now realizing too in all of this research that this was a persona that she put on, but she was so sexy and effortless. I believed she was effortlessly sexy. And even with the husky voice and with this presence that she wasn't a normal quote unquote, what you would look to as a Hollywood starlet beauty wise, but, well, but she's gorgeous. She is. She's stunning and also very charming, very intelligent, yeah. and has a great sense of humor, yes. which is something that I always, you know, appreciate. And now I think if you, what an inspiration and in how she views and way, way progressive for her time period, yeah. how she views men and relationships and love and what an and social reform. I yes, mean, in so yeah. many different ways. Amazing stuff. And uh, going back to the voice thing, yeah, what people may not know is that Jackie has sounded like a dragon since she was a baby. Always. Her voice has. Her voice made the, it made the nurses cry. Mm-hmm. They thought that they were like, "Did you?" Did, they asked her mom if she had had sex with some kind of a rabid yeah. when forest I creature. Came uh, out of that egg when I got out of the egg, and I went, <laughs> "My mom wept immediately, wept." And I said, "That's not the last time you will cry for me." And then mama. you were like, "Not the baby, yes, <laughs> not, not the, the baby, mama. not the not the mama." Yeah, always saying not the mama to the literal dinosaur that her mother had sex mm-hmm. with to create her. Um, and it is very sweet that Henry's dad <laughs> adopted her um, and Thank took her on. Thank you, Daddy. I will say, in, in many of what, many of the different avenues of entertainment that Eartha Kitt works in, she does say the word Daddy often, not mm. only in Santa Baby, but also... They um, made them all do it. I have all my heart women. for Daddy. They all oh, yeah. had to do it. All sexy baby syndrome was just throughout I was wa- until the 90s yes I watched yep. Anna LaCosta this morning Britney which Spears is- later than yeah. the 90s Britney Spears that was 2000s I was watching the movie that she did with Sammy Davis Jr. this morning and it's just like daddy don't daddy please don't do it and she and that's the dude she's stripping and I get it you know I call goth daddy goth daddy I don't call him well, goth daddy in private sure because it was brought back around almost ironically yes uh, because in it's, the later it horrifies years, me. because it's 
insane that basically we were like, um, hey, fellas, raise this thing you're going to put your penis into. It's so <laughs> hot. Mm. And she- I don't know anything, <laughs> but I know that I love you, dear. I'm just a lady. <laughs> but she really did work very hard. <laughs> that just made my throat just go, never do that pitch again. <laughs> it really made her rise above that because she didn't want to just be that. And the fact that now that I'm aware of Eartha Kitt is a persona and Eartha May is who she is in real life, it makes so much more sense because she had to create, which we've talked about in other episodes before, she had to create that outside shell to protect herself. I don't know anything about that. I know. I've never done that. Mm -mm. And I'm always... Certainly don't not use my last name. I'm always positive, And I'm always happy. <laughs> there is also a story, though, of like, that I thought was pretty brutal. But I mean, it should, you know, it should go along with the rest of it. Of There was this old actress that was like in her 80s. And she was really struggling to get work. And she was on this production with Eartha Kitt. And, and she was really struggling and having a hard time with her lines and stuff. And Eartha Kitt was just like, mm, bye, bitch. <laughs> just had her... Get replaced. She's a little bit cold. And also, in the, <laughs> I'm going to reference it many times, this weird 1982 documentary I watched about her. There's a lot of clips of her teaching young girls how to dance. And so she, would, she taught dancing for free. And she was hard as fuck. Fuck on those little girls. Well, she was part of a dance troupe. Yes, and she was, and she was a dancer from a very young age, and told constantly that she would never make it in dance because her breasts were too big. And Which so, is a normal. That still happens, right? And today. so her, the way that she interacted with these young girls, and I'm saying girls because they were tweens, was very terrifying to watch because I was like, I don't want. I mean, she was making them very good dancers. It is really more indicative of the problems in, in the dance world than anything. Mm. Yes. And even in how she got into it, but I guess let's start at the beginning because we, she didn't know until she was 71 years of age that she was born in the year 1927. How crazy is that? She wasn't actually sure what year she was born because oh, she was born into slavery. I have some shit to say about all of the uh, birth certificate shit when we get to that. So. Oh yeah, for sure. But we'll start with just born on a cotton plantation outside a small town in South Carolina. Her mother was of Cherokee and African descent and her father was unknown to her. However, it was said he was the son of the owner of the farm on which she was born and that she was a product of rape. She still doesn't know if that is actually true. Yes, that is all. There was another story about it being a different guy. It's, it's very unclear, but either way. So even coming into this world, her mother was a light-skinned, half-Cherokee black person. And her mother was already not accepted fully by the black community. And then her being born also of mixed race as well will just lead to the first 16 years of her life and forever, the rest of her life, not knowing how to fit in and not being accepted by either the white or the black community. Which is, yes. you know, doubly tragic because they're, you know, not presumably, but they believe it was from rape. So... She was born out of force into a world where they rejected her for being what she was, which right. was somebody who forced somebody on 
on somebody else you know yes. it's like her her daughter would actually speak towards it uh later in life uh, she's saying in 1927 to be a light-skinned black person in the south was just as horrible as being a black person in the white south my mother was not accepted by the black community she never found out her father's name but always assumed he was white my mother was referred to as a quote yellow gal which was not a compliment. It meant someone who thought thought they were better than everyone else, even though my mother was just a child at the time. She was horribly abused in the South. She was beaten, mistreated emotionally and physically. Part of being a yellow gal also meant that you were a motherless bastard and not black enough to be with the blacks and not white enough to be with whites. I, I don't I don't believe that's a slur to this day, but I I'm sorry to know. I never ugly, I've actually I've never term. heard of this term yeah. before. And yeah, it's just a very I imagine being labeled as such so young and also when we will see when her mother gives her away why her new stepfather rejects her. It's because of this term because she was already labeled from birth. Yeah, so her mother uh her her mother, as you just said, just to clarify goes to live with this other guy who is also black and refuses her and that is how she ends up with her aunt rosa who but i do want to say that she so in this documentary she goes to where she believes her mother and her other siblings were buried and she was standing by the the grave and she just said well she gave me away because she had to it's something i have to live with if your mother gives you away, then everybody else will give you away, too. That's the feeling you grow up with. Yeah. And she also believes her mother was poisoned because apparently she was she mysteriously died after eating food, quote, sprinkled with an unusual pepper. Hmm. God. Interesting. So she is just a child and she is now picking cotton to earn her keep at just seven years old, if you could imagine, wor- working a job at that young. And that, yeah, and, and w- that's when she witnesses the death. After this incident, this is when she ends up in Harlem, New York City, with to live with another relative named Mamie Kitt. Well, bef- yeah, because before that, she was kept with uh, another relative's family, and she was severely abused. Yes. And, and like, yeah, used um, in every way possible, including slave labor. And she, you know, as it was in the time, she didn't even have, you know, um, indoor plumbing or anything like that. So she and she wore a potato sack was her only clothes. Don't worry, guys. It gets a lot better. Yes, you will this watch her fight the bad back. Years. But it's not get a lot quite better. yet when she gets sent to her Aunt Mamie's house in Harlem, <laughs> who turns out. So I've read very varying ideas of what this was. Now, this woman was not good to her. That is definitely that is definitely a constant. But Aunt Mamie, it seems, either was her biological mother who had abandoned her at birth, mm-hmm. or she decided that for herself and just felt that. I couldn't find a confirmation of either. I don't either. think they ever knew, but th- she said that they did look very similar. Yes. Yes, And because of some arcane logic that I'll still not understand, uh, she, her aunt ends up throwing her out of the house because she failed to become a concert pianist? She wanted her to play piano, and Eartha <laughs> Kitt was like, that? I'm not. So you think about it, it's like, so she's put into this, she gets into a very great high school, right? That She's able to start learning more and, and working on creative arts and being forced to play the piano, but then also just having the shit beaten out of her every single day by this woman and so then she would 
be beaten, mostly because it was a lot of piano-based beatings. Well, can you imagine even on top of that, coming from where she did to Harlem, the middle of a city, somebody who's not familiar with electricity. Right. When she first came into the house, she had to go to the bathroom. And so uh, f- at first, the, the what's her name, Mamie? Yes. She was like, what do you, do you have to go to the bathroom and and uh, let me show you where to go and so she took her into the bathroom and let her sit inside and Eartha had never seen indoor plumbing or a toilet before so she thought she was in trouble she was in, she thought she was in a closet being punished and she sat there for like 30 minutes before Mamie came in and was like what are you doing she's like I don't know I, I didn't I don't know how to go to the bathroom we got bathroom in here I thought I was in trouble <laughs> and that so then that is where she's being thrust into and also being forced to like do all this other shit while she's still trying to understand like lights like seriously like she didn't know how lights worked and she was like obsessed with light switches and so later in life kit would say when people come backstage and announce themselves as relatives of mine they get the brush off treatment i'll never forget how my own people treated me and my mother i had reddish hair and i was too light everyone called me that yellow girl and nobody wanted me negro or white and this was uh she became known for not just snubbing relatives celebrities pretty much anybody who came backstage to be like hey i know you up? from the past it was because yeah, she yeah, doesn't like, like her past fuck. which is understandable uh, in fact yeah. even yeah. in the documentary when she goes so this is the first time she had gone back to where she had grown up since and she was in her 50s 60s at this point and so she goes back and she's driving and this guy because of course they all know who earth the kid is and she goes and she is looking at the church that she used to go to and she's driving and this guy gets in the road and stops her and he's like i'm your brother like they told me you were in town i'm your brother and then he's like she's like oh that's great really really great really good to see you and then as she's driving off she's like yeah i guess he's my stepbrother but it's from the marriage that she was rejected by mm-hmm. that he openly she's like i remember him as kids calling me these names mm-hmm. saying ah. those things about me and she's like and now he's my brother and now yeah. he wants to be my brother you're not my fucking brother you're nothing to me big and mistake just, oh, huge huh. pretty she didn't woman. say the f word she did either the pretty woman classy. Thing. she came uh. in she goes remember when you rejected me and she's holding all her bags from rodeo drive just yes. like pretty woman but yes. she's not a prostitute and i feel like jackie started tapped into a little bit of her own relationship with her own brother just then and it was scary Yes, so he said, Henry, you're not. (laughs) Get out of here, Henry. No, I love my brother, and he is my brother. But also that's because he wasn't um, beating me or rejecting my existence. And he was okay with the fact that you were born to a paternal dinosaur, man. And that I am a dinosaur. Your dragon voice. I mean, he does do <laughs> every time I walk into a room, but I like that. Yeah, it's it's very grand music. <laughs> so this next part at least lightens up, and I love this story because it feels like it's right out of a musical from the 1950s. So while she's she, she, at this point, she's like working in, as a seamstress in a factory, doing all these different crappy jobs. And while out and about in New York City, a woman asks her for directions, which sparks up a conversation between the two. It turns out this woman was a dancer under a choreographer and teacher named Catherine Dunn and convinced her to go to an audition with her. What I like to uh, essentially, though, is that this woman was just asking her to go to a make like how to get to the Max Factor makeup store. And uh, I asked, yes. she said, I asked her why she was going because no one our age wore makeup back then. And then she <laughs> said, I, I 
Very the answer for Catherine Dunham. And she goes, okay, I'll tell you how to get to the makeup store if you get me in for an audition. Hell yeah. Which is I love that. such a bad, I mean, she's 17 years old. So scrappy. Yes. I, I have 16. That, that she wins a scholarship to study with and eventually become a member of the Catherine Dunham Company. This is the first African-American dance company founded in Chicago in 1930 by, of course, Catherine Dunham. And this is really what sets the whole rest of her life the course that she would end up having. And really, man, what a game changer. Also, I will say, too, Mm -hmm. that I I saw it many times of differences in ages of stuff, and it's because they had no idea what year she was born in for so long. Right. Of course, yeah. Why would it? So if it's 17, 16, she could have been 47. It's like, she's teen. She's ish. Yes. She's got boobies. (laughs) She got the boobies, yeah. Too big Uh, (laughs) to be a dancer boobies as well. You know what, though? It's like sort of because uh, they didn't make a good bras for people they still don't really no they so don't you, couldn't, you know they're just flopping around what are you gonna do i get it you gotta tape them up i'm floppy right and and maybe you could even use the breasts in the performance they could be they're almost like a second pair of feet yeah they're like other limbs i'm always saying that about my breasts so i was like you know my second pair of feet <laughs> <laughs> so this troupe ends up touring through mexico South America, Paris, and London clearly gives her this lifelong love of travel that she would end up instilling in her own daughter. Also, at this time period as well, this is one of the, I think, I believe it was the only black dance troupe that traveled all around the world as well. So this was a very exclusive in what year? troupe to be a part of in 1944. And she ends up actually making her big screen debut during this time uh, in a film called Casbah, which was in 1948. As a member of the troupe, uh, of course, she's not like in any, I don't even think it's a speaking role or anything like that. But either way, she eventually breaks away from the troupe, goes solo, and gains popularity in Paris as a nightclub singer at a club called Carol's, ran by a woman, I love this, ran by a woman named Fred, who was a yes. former lover of Marlene Dietrich, described as, quote, one of the most beautiful women you ever want to see in your life, mm. always dressed as a man. And apparently Fred <laughs> took care of Eartha Kitt. At this time period, Fred was very aware of the situation that Eartha Kitt was in, was very new to all of this. And at this time period, Fred took her under their wing to make sure that she wasn't being taken advantage of. Which is great. I wish that somebody uh, would do that for me. Or and right for now. everybody. I wish there was always somebody there to protect people. <laughs> it's still, it's not like it's a ton better these days. No. You kind of need someone like that in the entertainment business. She ends up performing at the club for 11 months. She was so popular there and learned a lot of the French language this way. And this is where actor-director Orson Welles comes in. He discovers her during this time, famously refers to her as, quote, the most exciting woman alive. Uh, it is said that later they they p- potentially had an affair. This is something she denies. There was she another story there. Yeah. Denied, denied. And she did say, she said, that was one reason why he thought I was the most exciting woman in the world. I kept my mouth shut. And so he thought I was very intelligent. That is the best quality of a woman if she stops talking. Keep the mouth shut. Also, her daughter did say she was close to Orson Welles, and she was like a sponge around him because she was so drawn to his intensity and his incredible knowledge of many different subjects. People often thought they were lovers, but she said they never were. It was more of a mentorship. 
So yes, he Wells casts her as Helen of Troy in his production of Dr. Faustus, which he retitled Time Runs back in 1951. And this is what Eartha Kid had to say. It's so romantic. After rehearsing all night, Orson would walk me up the Champs-Élysées to my hotel with the sun coming up. We would look at the sights, window shop, and he would recite Shakespeare to me. Ah. Uh. I love this. So there was a, a review of her performance in Helen of Troy, and I just love this line. It says, Eartha Kitt, whose haunting rendition of Duke Ellington's Hungry Little Trouble blends beautifully with the poetry of Faust, quite literally steals the show. The petite 22-year-old South Carolinian invariably draws applause by her singing of Yo creo yo tengo un amor, which is I think I have a love, a song she wrote herself. Her brief recital between the dramatic portions of the production is certainly worth the price of admission. And it it is Orson who really brings her into this higher class way. I mean, can you imagine going from picking cotton on a farm in the South in, you know, you know, at seven years old to being in Paris with Orson Welles? She said, Orson really introduced me to a marvelous gourmet type of living. Him and Ruberosa, I tell you, I was absolutely spoiled by the best kind of men, referring to the millionaire playboy, Porfirio Ruberosa, with whom she did have an affair. Uh, yeah. And she, she does talk about that a lot in her later years, that she recognized that about her and she always kept that in the back of her mind so that she always did eat up life because she knew she would look out and go I can't believe I'm here and I think that's such a beautiful um, way to stay happy in your life and she never took it for granted either Mm -hmm. and that's what I love about her and how many times she's had to reinvent herself and things like this where she goes to Paris she's like okay well then I'm gonna learn French and and she's teaching herself how to live life as she's going. The fact that she had never gone to dance school and mm-hmm. gotten to this dance troupe. The fact that she had never sung professionally, and this point in time she's like, well, I can sing, so I'm going to. And she used her unique voice and and sound as ways and to thing, help her keep going. And her, her, like, her unique look to make her stand out, and yes. that is the best thing I can think of doing, you know? With that, with that, that hate, the, the, all the hatred you get towards you, it makes you different than everybody else. You go, well, I'll fucking turn this into something I can use. Yeah, exactly. Hell yeah. I love this. One of the songs in the nightclub act that she would become most known for is C'est Si Bon. And it actually was a bit of an accident how it all came together. The song was actually sent to her while she was living in Paris by her agents, who told her it was already a hit four times over in the past, so she gave it a shot. However, her first performance of it was in Brussels, but she totally blanked on the words. She said... First of all, there was nothing but women in the audience, and that scared the hell out of me. I like women, and I love them in my audience because they have a good sense of humor, but I love working to men, and there were no men. So when I saw all these women, it kind of threw me. So I ad-libbed, which is what you hear today on the record, which is how the song became another hit. Insane. She clearly had, she clearly knew she had like a power over men in the nightclub. Yes. She, you know, world and she she could just even at that young she was like controlling a room full of men right so it's so hilarious that a room full of all women was way more intimidating I mean I get that (laughs) I I can see all their judgy faces looking up but wait so on the record is she not speaking French 
Is it just gibberish? I think she, I, I that I'd have to go back and check out because I don't speak French, but it, I think she did know have a decent handle on the language probably, I believe, by Why? that point. I thought you took this job seriously and you didn't even I learn French. I am <laughs> apologizing to the people of the world Why about don't this. you speak French, Holden? Speak Talk French. about playing to a room full of women. You ladies are <laughs> killing me right now. <laughs> Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. And I, I also like that we're talking about this right now, this kind of control she had in the nightclub, because it brings up this dual personality situation between Eartha May and Eartha Kitt, because she sees herself either at any point in time as Eartha May or Eartha Kitt, depending the real cha- game changer is if she's on stage or not. Yes. Kitt said this about her Eartha May persona. That's the one that's terribly, terribly shy and never wants to be seen or attract attention to her because she's a reject. Nobody wanted her as an orphan. My mother gave me away. But once I get out there on stage and realize that I'm still wanted and I'm still needed, I begin to feel, oh, this is my comfort spot. But once I leave the stage, I go back to being a little cotton picker from the South, that little orphan that nobody wanted. It's not a sad thing. That's a very comfortable feeling for me to be in. But that private side of me is so private. And that's what I love when she was asked, what is the real Eartha Kit like? She says, I'm not a show-off. I'm actually a very shy person. There's always that shy little girl inside. People told her that she was an ugly duckling, that she didn't belong to anything or anybody, and nobody wanted her. I was a sepia Cinderella, treated like a work mule from the time I was able to walk. And she's trying so hard to find somebody that says, Eartha May, it's all right. You're wanted to. And this also is a through line that would actually happen for Jackie as well. Jackie felt mm-hmm. like she was truly a dragon mm-hmm. because she was born from a dinosaur father dragon. and a human mother. She would go on to say, you know, sometimes I feel like a total fucking disgusting dragon. And sometimes I feel like a lady about the town. Yes. That's just me. That's just Jackie. A smooth wow, dragon. Just, it's cool you're giving quotes to Jackie. <laughs> yes. Jackie. And he, he's looking at the paper as if it's written down, which I also appreciate your commitment to the bit of pretending no to read it off the paper. It. I know it's not written on the paper. You don't have my quotes about the dragon written on the paper. Don't you look at the paper. I see you looking so, at the paper. I do want to at this point, speaking of 
her way with men I, I it's around this time period that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up her relationship with James Dean now I don't know about y'all but I have definitely seen on the internet many times that she and James Dean and Paul Newman had threesomes Woo! which please, I will watch it but it's not true it's actually completely not true and she was a very good friends with James Dean at this point in time she was actually the one that taught James Dean how to dance. So apparently Eartha Kitt first met James Dean at the Sylvia Forte Dance Studio in the early 1950s. They would later take classes at the Catherine Dunn Studio. She said, James Dean said to me, I want to move like you. Can you teach me how to move my body like you do on stage? Ooh. And I told him where Damn, to meet me. Damn, that's Man, hot. you have to look at these pictures. There are these pictures of them in these dance sessions. And it's Looking just the right fire now. between them. So they didn't them. even kiss? Ooh. And so he said, and I told him where to meet me here in New York. And that's where we met for dance classes. And that's where Jamie and I always met. She calls him Jamie. Downstairs from that studio to have coffee, to have our little tete-a-tete conversations. He was like my brother. He had something in him that he didn't understand. He wanted to learn for me how to move on the stage the way I do. So I taught him how to control his body and how to let the words physically carry you from this point to that point. I was in a play and he'd just done his first film. So we were both becoming known at that time. It was a good time. But also that it, in the biography James Dean written by Val Hawley, they talked about their relationship was very spiritual and clairvoyant and trusting. And even... Eartha Kitt's daughter said her relationship with James Dean was another one that press assumed was romantic, but they were just dear friends. And Val Holly went on and said they would often be seen roaming around New York together in silence, but each knew what the other was thinking. Kit was one of the most frequent recipients of Dean's infamous middle-of-the-night telephone calls, and she indulged the habit. Now, this is just was just sad. There was a—so in 1954, is when James Dean died. Mm -hmm. And she saw him a couple of days before he dies. And she said, when I was with him in Hollywood and he met me at the door because he had been staying with Arthur Lowe, he opened the door for me and we hugged one another like we always did. But I didn't feel him. I didn't feel his spirit. And I said, Jamie, what are they doing to you in Hollywood? I don't feel your spirit. And he said, Kit, you're on one of your voodoo trips again. And she said, I went to Las Vegas the next day to open my show. A few days later, one of the girls in the chorus came to my dressing room and said, Jamie's dead. I already knew it. He was gone the Sunday before when I had hugged him. He wasn't there. And oh. she speaks often about her working with her spirituality and working with voodoo and times like that, that she really believed that she knew that he was about to die. Which that's so, it just gives me tingles thinking about look it. Look at, and, and honestly, look up those pictures if you're listening to this. They really do speak towards exactly what you're describing, this beautiful relationship. Even just those dance class pictures. I like am, really I'm watching else. them as, I'm looking at them as you're telling the story. And yeah. I'm not trying to sexualize their relationship. But these are very I watched that these too. These are That's why I did want to speak to it to say it's definitely not, uh, it's apparently not true, but man, again, I will watch her having sex with James Dean and Paul Newman any day of the week. <laughs> so Eartha builds up her chops in Paris and in Europe, and this is when she returns to New York City now, ready 
to go has a reputation of being a hit act over there she's a talented actress having performed in the play with Orson Welles and her first run was at a nightclub on 54th Street called La Vie in Rose which she would later refer to as a horrible flop <laughs> and it didn't so it does not start off super good but the owner of probably my favorite club in New York City called the Village Vanguard named Max Gordon felt she had potential for greatness and had her open at this club. The Village Vanguard still exists. It is my favorite place to go see jazz. I have gone there a bunch. Uh, I'd love to go there again sometime. Uh, so the Village Vanguard, just a little background, I, I have to say say it because I do love this place so much. It was opened back in 1934 initially as a forum for poets and artists in a basement on 7th Avenue, and it grew in popularity due to the jazz jam sessions that were held on Sunday afternoons. And eventually, that ends up becoming the main attraction at the club throughout the 50s. And it is in this amazing little basement club where you can see the best jazz music in the world. It's like kind of this incredible situation if you're ever in New York. Either way, she also performs at the Blue Angel on 55th Street. That's a haunt often frequented by folks like Truman Capote and Lena Horne back in the day. And that is where she becomes known for songs such as... Sassy Bon, I Want to Be Evil, which is an amazing song. Oh my God, that song, song is such a I good love song. I Want to Be Evil so much. It makes me want to be evil. And it makes so much sense in watching her perform that song of, I mean, of course, this is very later on, but her and Emperor's New Groove and getting mm. that. Yes. Because she is, she just encompasses this sexual provocative evil that you don't want to push away from, that you want to get closer to. Yes. And, yeah. and so she's starting to gain momentum in America. She, I do want to say City specifically. Mm -hmm. that you, uh, that at this point, she's also known for Ukska Dara, yes. which is one of yes. her songs that she sings in Turkish. So I was it so she has sung in over seven languages. She can speak, I believe, four languages fluently. She's taught herself all of this, and one of her songs is properly spoke is sung in Turkish. And I was like, all right, well now I need to know how she learned how to speak Turkish. So when she was touring with the Catherine Dunham dance troupe, they stopped in Istanbul. And when she was there, she met up with the Nicholas brothers, who whose names are Fayard and Harold. And they were brothers that were widely regarded as one of the greatest African-American dance acts of their time. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to hang out with them. So she ended up staying in Istanbul for two months. This was just such a, a, a beautiful way of setting up this environment at the time that uh, that I read in this article it said World War II was over by then the Cold War freshly hatched and Turkey was fast becoming an American ally President Truman had recently cemented this alliance through the Truman Doctrine announcing generous Cold War support to both Turkey and Greece so politically, there was an alliance, and culturally, there were the beginnings of one, too. The Catherine Dunham Dance Troops Tour, for instance, was funded by the U.S. government, part of an American effort to introduce jazz and blues to Turkey. So Eartha heard, Ükskudara Adgidinikanet. Yep, yep, that's Turkish. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> for the first time at an Istanbul bar. And apparently the wife of a Turkish naval officer taught her the words, helped her with pronunciation, and Ertha began performing the song solo at Kervan Saray, a new club in the city's business district. And by all accounts, when young Ertha entertained, it was a performance of self-possessed 
female sexuality. And this writer said, I wonder what it must have been like for her to be on a Turkish stage. What did it mean for a teenage black woman to be starting her career in a place so linked to the U.S. Cold War imperialism, a place deeply segregated along lines of gender, a place so racially flat? And that's got to be so difficult. And yet... She wanted to learn how to properly sing a song in Turkish because she liked the song. (laughs) But what really puts her on the map would end up being a performance on the Broadway review New Faces of 1952, which is crazy because we already mentioned this in our Young Frankenstein episode as Mel Brooks was on the writing staff for that show. This is where she stuns audiences with the sulky number monotonous, which is phenomenal as well as, of course, the boner-inducing Ceci Bon, <laughs> for which she wore, and during this performance, she wore a boner black skirt inducing. and leopard skin top. It is. <laughs> and that is literally in my notes. By the way, literally in my notes, boner-inducing. I must have been on one that day. So she, she, for this performance, she wore a black skirt and leopard skin top and threw off the skirt near the end to reveal a sexy one-piece bathing suit underneath, which I'm sure in 1952 was a quite scandal. Uh, actually, Mary, could you play a little bit of that song because sure. I wasn't familiar with it until this and I really like it. C'est si bon de partir n'importe où bras dessus, bras dessous en chantant des chansons c'est si bon de se dire des mots doux De petit rien dit-tu, mais qui en dit en l'an. After that, she stars in the play Mrs. Patterson, a story about a 15-year-old girl in the Deep South in the 1920s who fantasizes of being uh, her mother's dignified, rich, white employer, Mrs. Patterson. And though she does sing a few songs in it, it was mostly a straight play and her first straight starring role. You can look up pictures of this. It looks really fascinating, very interesting play, to say the least. And this was actually performed live on the BBC as well in 1956. And yeah, this was the performance where, as Stephen Bourne put it, the biographer for Eartha Kitt, Eartha Kitt was a strange creature. During rehearsals, she didn't socialize with any of the cast, and one day she upset me. Connie Smith, an 80-year-old veteran actress, was beginning to lose her sight and had trouble remembering her lines. She needed the job. She didn't have many good opportunities to work at her age, but Madam had her thrown off Mrs. Patterson. I never forgave Eartha Kitt for that. And Eartha just said, I'm not cold. I'm just a little numb sometimes, courtesy of my childhood. I get it. I I imagine. And yet, though, at this point in time, she was already starting to try and make change She was unwilling to contribute to the discrimination rampant in American society Mm -hmm. in this point in time. So Kit decided that she would not perform before segregated audiences and included that requirement in her contracts. So that dates back to the mid-50s of when she started putting that into her contracts that she refused to perform for segregated audiences. Well before, you know, the strong civil rights push that would happen. I mean, that's And that she would be a part of. Mm -hmm. Her next performance would literally be as a cat, an alley cat, in a play called Shinbone Alley about a cockroach who falls in love, hopeless love, with an alley cat. And this is actually co-written by Mel Brooks, along with Joe Darian, and it's based on stories by Don Marquis that were popular at the time. I had never heard of this set of tales, but either way, it's not a big success. It only lasts 
49 performances before closing. I'm intrigued, though. I, I, think, so. it, I think it sounds kind of fun. It sounds pretty fun. And I'd love to like hear even just a recording of it or something. Yeah. I think she does, she does some songs in it. Sounds like a fun premise, and especially co-written by Mel Brooks. Yeah. I, I would love I'm so curious. I would love to see that. Around this time, she met and had started dating Arthur Lowe Jr., who was a Hollywood fixture. His grandfathers founded MGM and Paramount. He had dated Debbie Reynolds and Janet Lee, and his best friend was James Dean. Mm. Lowe wanted to marry Eartha Kitt, but his family was horrified. He said his mother said, I'll shoot him in the foot before he marries a brown-skinned woman, is what he told Eartha Kitt. Good, 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 good. Um, Very upsetting. They didn't get married. Spoiler alert. Well, good for her, because they sound like a bunch of fucking turds. At at this point, I was when she started speaking out against integrated couples. Not against integrated couples, for integrated couples. She said, people would say, why don't you want to marry a black man? And I would reply, because the white girls had him. She said, the men I wanted to be with, Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, dated predominantly white women. I'm talking about the 50s. When Harry Belafonte kicks me out of his bed in Philadelphia and said, I don't want you to take me seriously because no black woman can do anything for me. I could not help him to progress into where he was going to go. A black woman would hold a black man back. That's what he Hmm. told me. If I wanted to marry a black man, there wasn't one because the white girls had him. And she said it twice. And it's... It's just, and yet black men didn't want to date her either. No, so again, it's sad. It constant sucks. rejection. It's sad as fuck. Also, she's doing films in the 1950s. Her film debut was acting across Sidney Poitier, the, who you just mentioned in The Mark of the Hawk. Back in 1957. I'm sorry, that's my dinosaur talk. I thought we were. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were harkening back to my childhood. Jackie's dinosaur father said, "I don't know how I made a child." Stop with a reading human it from woman. the paper. I'm just a dinosaur. I don't even know how sex works in terms of humans. And my dinosaurs. arms are yeah, too short. Sounds like maybe your mom took advantage of this dinosaur. Well, you know, my mom is a powerful woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Mark of the Hawk 1957 it's about an African man who returns home with his wife played by Eartha Kitt to find his brother is leading a revolt against the European settlers and tries to seek racial equality the next film she would appear in is based on the life of blues musician W.C. Handy and wasn't so much of a great film apparently according from what I read you actually watched it though right uh, Jackie. I watched Anna LaCosta. Oh, Anna LaCosta. That was different. I'm sorry. This one, this one, what was the name of this? I did, I, I effed up and didn't write the name of the film down, but either way, it starred folks like Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, Cab Calloway, and of course, Kit, who took, uh, what she was given and ran with it, singing four songs and even got her own album of handy songs released, including her fantastic takes on Careless Love and Beale Street Blues. So really took advantage of that there. And then, uh, yes, Anna LaCosta, you watch. 1958 film acting along okay, with Daddy, anything you say, Sammy Daddy. Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr.'s first dramatic role in a feature film. What do we think, Jack? They about? were great in it. Yeah. They, it, it was such, it was such a, a wonderful experience to watch the two of them go head to head in this movie that uh, both of them don't play the best characters either. And watching them go at it was just, uh, it was real. I don't know. I'd never heard of it before. Mm-mm. It's 
riveting. You can you can watch it on YouTube for free as well. Uh, it's definitely old school, but it was uh, it's a remake, and I really enjoyed it. And St. Louis Blues is the name of that W.C. Handy film that she yes. did with all those great singers. So at this point in time, she's living in Beverly Hills, right? She's doing this. She's doing all these movies, and I watched this interview that I thought was hilarious and really, uh, really is a great capture of what Eartha Kitt it was that she was a badass about everything, including her chickens being taken away because she was still a farm girl at heart. Her entire life, she's huge into farming and watching that 1982 documentary, she's still like, everywhere she goes, she brings bushels of food to people because she has so much of it. So at this point in time, she had 37 chickens in Beverly Hills. And she says, why shouldn't you have chickens in Beverly Hills? If you have a piece of land, why shouldn't you have them? I had 37 chickens, and one day I came home, and my chickens were gone. So I called up the mayor, and I said, sir, where are my chickens? And he said, you can't have chickens in Beverly Hills. I said, you should have given me some time to think about it. So I did look up the law. If a house that was built in Los Angeles before 1954 is still considered to be what it was built for today, then you can have them. So apparently, the California home that Eartha Kitt had purchased in 1957 had been converted horse stable of an old estate. The names of the horses even remained above their stall doors. So she used that in her argument with the city to allow her to keep chickens in the aviary that still stood as part of the farm. Wait, her house was the horse stables? Yes, that she purchased. What that- house had a house as horse stables? That That is too much money. It's also Beverly Hills, though, so, but it was a time in 1957 before it was all completely built up. So she liked it. She wanted her own farm so that she could do all this because also apparently she was obsessed with collecting bees' nests. She said, I don't find them frightening. I think they're fascinating. So intricate. I love all kinds of bees' nests. I was a wild child, and I depended on the forest to find company when I was a kid. So I became very cognizant of how friendly nature can be. So she also had a bunch of bees' nests. I like that she can just call the mayor. She called the mayor on the phone. She called up the mayor. I do have a quote from one of the chickens right here. <laughs> Baga! Oh, they loved working with Eartha Kid and giving her their eggs. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is the I, translation I, of the quote. No, I heard you ate all my babies, you bitch. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Different interpretations. You're talking big chicken translation things now. You're reading. It's very biblical. Uh, but either way, she would, uh, in, in, uh, 1960, after she had a fling with a cosmetics magnate and a banking heir, but it would end up being John William McDonald, whom she would marry June of 1960. And together they had one daughter named Kit McDonald in 1961 and ended up divorcing in 1965. Uh, According to Kit, though, Eartha a fabulous mother. But I also love, though, too, her name is Kit because her last name is McDonald, so she wanted to make sure that her maiden name was also a part of her was name. Well, yeah, she wanted, uh, I, I saw an interview where she said, her, her daughter said that she wanted, because she had no real family, she wanted her legacy carried on somehow. Yes. So instead of, yeah. you know, having that family legacy, she's this is her legacy to, mem- so people remember who she was. And they were so Hell close. Yeah. And her daughter had this to say. When I was very little, my mother was the most attentive parent. She was physically there. She always told me she loved me and she showed me love. 
She always included me in almost everything she did. She made sure I traveled with her because she felt travel was the best education I could ever get, much better than any textbook could ever give me. So when we traveled, we made sure I saw what the different countries we visited were really like. It wasn't from a tourist or fancy hotel perspective. She would make friends with the waiters, maids, and taxi cab drivers and made sure I got to stay in people's homes, real people's homes, not celebrity people. She made sure I learned the way of life was different in the country we were in. She showed me how different people lived. She wanted to make sure I knew that growing up in Beverly Hills, California, or London was not the way the rest of the world saw things. Can these celebrity parents take notes? No, please. She was so good at bringing up her daughter in the way that she always wished that she had been brought up. And even Kit Shapiro says of her mother that her mother found the label of a sex kitten and, and all of the other ways of which her mother was described a little more comical than anything else because she was literally such a down-to-earth person so connected to the earth which she really she even said about having her daughter she said she's brought me something I always lacked serenity she'll be brought up with all the love and affection that everyone needs and which I never had I, I'm gonna go ahead and say not hyperbolically literally if you grow up in wealth and you have a child that's born into wealth and you don't teach them perspective that you should go to a work prison for the rest of your life. Whoa, <laughs> I wow, hot hard take. lines yep. in the same today. Oh my God, and I have a quote for the chicken about that hot take. <laughs> Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you... Then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Uh, she eventually, she does get a divorce from this husband as well, and she cites mental cruelty for the reasons, but mm. apparently McDonald also didn't show up in court in the divorce proceedings, and he was ordered to pay monthly child support, and apparently it turns out that her former husband was brutally addicted to painkillers. But she did say, because she's very classy, she never spoke out about this stuff. What she had said about him was, my husband is a successful man, but just not worldly enough for me. Mm. 
That's really classy. Fun. Love it. It's class. Everything, the way she said, with, like, even her sharp tongue and the way that she speaks is so eloquent. I was trying to find so, like, a lot of ways where people, like, where is her accent yeah. from and things like that yeah. because she's born and raised in South Carolina. But from learning all of these languages and living a life of being everywhere and trying to be unique but also assimilate. I think that she did take, uh, in a way that Lindsay Lohan wishes her accent could be like that. I think <laughs> that, that Eartha will be the Kid's first and the last time that Lindsay Lohan and Eartha Kid are, are ever brought same. into the same <laughs> sentence. That she just had this affectation that was so lilting and romantic. My husband is a successful man, but just not worldly <laughs> enough for me. me. She also such a hard thing to emulate because it's a little tiny bit European? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like this mm -hmm. line, uh, watching her say this just made me, I almost wanted to cry. She said, a man has always wanted to lay me down, but he never wanted to pick me back up. And the men that did have real love and affection for me were the ones that never touched me. Mm. I, love I think she's talking about Orson in that And in that James quote. Dean. I yeah. really think so. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the men that she loved that that didn't use her or use her sexuality against her. But right. what if you want them to use your sexuality? You mean like when she becomes Catwoman? Ah! <laughs> yeah, 1967, she takes the place of Julie Newmar as Catwoman on the Batman TV series. Julie couldn't do the show anymore because she was doing a film at the time. Charles Fitzsimmons, the producer on the show, said... She was a cat woman before we ever cast her as a cat woman. She had a cat-like style. Her eyes were cat-like and her singing was like a meow. But it is crazy because even before all of this, she was, I know her last name is Kit, but she was always described in fe feline terms. Her voice, quote unquote, purred or was like catnip. She was a sex kitten who slinked it or was on cat. the prowl. Kitty cat. And, and, and flashing her claws. And even many times her career was oft said to have had nine lives. Almost like they're uh, dehumanizing her and making her into a sex object. No, what? she's Catwoman. <laughs> she said, I'm very glad I got that part. It was one of the funniest things I've ever done without thinking how funny it was. People say to me, you're a cat. You move like a cat. You talk yeah. like a cat. You growl like a cat. And you look like a cat. You look like a Burmese cat. But what I love too is that her- claw like a cat. And you lick milk out <laughs> yeah, of a bowl like a cat. little tiny licks. And she, that is the other weird thing she did. She carried her around that little bowl of milk and she'd always be lapping at it. I think that really sold it. It, it predated, did, yeah. yeah. It predated the movie Cats where you get to watch Ian McKellen lick out milk out of a bowl. <laughs> now, I forgot her, he did that. Her Whoa. daughter does <laughs> speak to the importance of being a black sex symbol, especially as Catwoman was. Mm -hmm. So her daughter says, I was about nine years old when she played Catwoman on Batman. And that was a really big deal. This was 1967, and there were no women of color at that time wearing skin-tight bodysuits, playing opposite a white male with sexual tension between them. She says she knew the importance of the role, and she was proud of it. She really is a part of history. She was one of the first beautiful black women. Her, Lena Horne, Dorothy Dandridge, who were allowed to be sexy without being stereotyped. It does take a village, but I do think she helped blaze a trail. And it's funny because you you go back and you look at the, the Batman clips or you watch the episodes and it's very silly, obviously. It's very corny and they're all wearing like Halloween level costumes, but it is so powerful having her on that show and she just is so 
fierce in that role and so, just so confident in it. Yeah. And it does make you feel like empowered. And you're yes. Just like, Damn. And she was the first widely accepted black sex symbol. Yeah. And she's even, she calls herself the original material girl because she, she was. Sure. And, and, no, and I feel like she was way more accepted at a time that most people weren't accepting this until... She goes to the White House, Man, of course. Man, this story is so interesting. <laughs> it, this is nuts. Back in January of 1968, when Lyndon B. Johnson was president, Kit attended a White House luncheon at which she was asked by First Lady Bird, First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, uh, about the Vietnam War. So I do want to say, yes. So she thought that she was being asked. So at this point in time, she was really starting, I mean, not even starting to. She was in the midst of using, she wanted to use her celebritydom as a vehicle for social change, whether it was the opposition to the Vietnam War or racial injustice. And she thought that this luncheon was going to be a lot of nonsense. Flowers, champagne, a chance to show off. And she said, but she reconsidered after being implored by the First Lady's social secretary to attend. The subject of the luncheon was bold. Why is there so much juvenile delinquency in the streets of America? That is the that was the open phrase of what this luncheon was supposed to you be. You know, about. people who are really connected to society and reality say sentences like that. Yeah, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> so she's sitting at this table. With these women that were asked to be there. And they're all, she said, the women around her were buzzing about the possibility of LBJ popping into the luncheon and admired the place settings for a menu of crab meat bisque and chicken breasts. And Eartha Kitt started getting pissed, wondering whether the women Uh (gasps) would really talk about what was happening in the streets. She said, the atmosphere began to hit me but I still hoped it might become a constructive opportunity to air the problems we had supposedly come to talk about. So by the time she says, starts talking to Lady Bird Johnson about all this, she's been sitting there for two hours steaming about, like, aren't we going to start talking about what we came here to talk about? Well, yeah, because looking back, she would say, this was actually just like a propagandist luncheon to make... Lady Bird Johnson looked good. Interesting she, of why it, they needed to have well, a black celebrity there. They wanted it for the clout. They didn't yes. actually want her to say anything. And no. the things she said they were talking about before her were really funny, where they were coming up with these ideas like, put flower planters in the ghettos. It will make them less angry. <laughs> <laughs> or when you see a ma- with a boy, this is literally what she said. If you see a boy with a stone in his hand that he's about to throw, you must go up to him and say, no, 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 you mustn't do that. That was their, that was <laughs> their solutions. And so this is what Eartha Kid has to say that ends up getting her blacklisted from Hollywood for several years. I am a mother and I know the feeling of having a baby come out of my gut. I have a baby and then you send him off to war. No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. Also... The children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They are not hippies for no reason at all. We don't have what we have on Sunset Boulevard for no reason. They are rebelling against something. They are. There are so many things burning the people of this country, particularly mothers. They feel they are going to raise sons, and I know what it's like. And you have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children, and we send them to war. And then Lady Bird was like, And just, and man, what they ripped her apart for and how they, she made the first lady cry 
Why? Because she was speaking the truth. They tried of people to ruin that were her actually for it. protesting right outside of the White House while this luncheon is going on. And she, uh, yeah, and and uh, she talks about too about how she you're asking these kids to grow up in respect. And she was talking about in Ten Commandments style, so like a biblical way. But either way, you're telling them to adhere to these these rules and to be raised up into these gentlemen but then immediately as they become 18 you're throwing them into this war and telling them you should kill and you go should die. steal yes. you should do all these things that we just told you not to do and then right. you ask why they're smoking pot it's because they don't want to deal with, they want to go to sleep yeah they want to yeah. wait till it's over because at this point in time eartha kid is already working with rebels with a cause she's working with women's international league for peace and freedom this is a point in time that she was she was a social justice activist mm -hmm. and you asked her there to have a conversation and then she's not allowed to speak and it, to the it most fucked up thing is is you know you hear me talking about it i get very angry i start screaming about it she just just like politely waited to speak and was like, but perhaps if we looked at it from a realistic point of view and they were like, end her life, end her career, yeah. make sure she's never seen again. Yeah, and even Eartha yeah. Kitt said such graphic remarks apparently didn't sit too well with the peppermint ice cream dessert. Exactly. Yeah. So what happens? Blacklisted. Yeah, blacklisted uh, from working in the U.S. She ends up having to go back to Europe and Asia to perform and, and make money that way. But not and only that, she was. Th they were all of the clubs that she worked with were specifically told that all of her contracts were canceled. She was dropped from all of her television appearances, and so. She even realized that the CIA had started making a dossier about yeah. her right afterwards, desperately going around the world trying to come up with stuff against her. Yeah. And it would actually be later in the mid-70s that a reporter named Seymour Hirsch would publish a report in the New York Times centered around the dossier that he dug up, put together by the CIA, that was chock full of nasty, shitty gossip about Eartha Kitt, stating stuff like her escapades overseas and her loose morals were said to be the talk of Paris and that she was, quote, a spoiled child, very crude and having a vile tongue. And the, I think the most frustrating part is the thing that she was mercilessly bullied for, the thing that forced her out of her home, from her mother and the man her mother stayed with, the, the her being a, like mixed race, lighter skin. They said that she was bragging about how she was had less black in her than other people, and and it, that is so insulting. And that she had no ties to the black community, even though she was marching with Dr. King, she was uh, having but like uh, like big beyond, conversations with Malcolm X. Beyond any of this, just. The, the sheer fact that the dossier is talking about her being a nymphomaniac and vulgar. Yeah. A this, sadistic off, nymphomaniac. What does that have to do with social justice? Secondly, that is just showing, it's indicative of the time what women were supposed to be and like mm -hmm. saying those things about her was like basically saying she's a monster. Yes, and she even responded to those accusations and part of this response, it was a long response, but she said, because I'm black, I had to be taught a lesson and put back into my place as a singing, dancing, mindless automaton who saw no evil, did no evil, and most importantly, publicly spoke no evil. I don't regret anything that I've said or done. I have suffered a lot financially, but I have survived. I only have pity and sympathy for those who tucked their moral tails in between their legs and cuddled up to the Johnson and Nixon administration's immoral and unjust policies. So she still wouldn't back down from anything that she said. 
Good, because she didn't do anything wrong. They're bla- they're calling her immoral for saying, please stop killing all of our nation's children in this endless non non successful war that will not bring anything to anyone. Yes. Yeah. We're just killing our kids. But also how yeah. smart it was is that, so what does she do after all of this? Since she can't perform in America, she goes back to Europe and she's like, fine, yeah. you cannot stop me. I'm going to go tour in Europe and Asia. And works, works and works and works. She does eventually return to, to New York City. Her return was on Broadway in a heavy spectacle production of a show called Timbuktu in 1978. Kids said, And when the audience gave me a standing ovation, I mean, really, the whole audience stood up and applauded before I could even open my mouth. I thought, okay, I guess everything's going to be okay. (laughs) It was especially terrifying that was. Well, it was especially noteworthy because she had brought the chickens on stage with her. (laughs) And those chickens would end up being starring in a little known show called The Muppet Show. And that is how you got those chickens. They actually came from Eartha Kids. She opened the door for chicken performers. For chicken performers and chicken sexuality so Mm -hmm. that they could have sex with Gonzo freely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also during this time period is when, so she is still blacklisted. So this is almost 10 years later. She gets her first Tony nomination for her work in Timbuktu. And she's welcomed back to the White House for the first time since 1969. So this was Jimmy Carter saying, can we stop publicly blacklisting this woman? Is Jimmy Carter the, <laughs> is Jimmy Carter the only good president we've ever had? I don't know. I guess I don't know nothing about it, but maybe. I love that he said to her, welcome home, Eartha. Yes. So sweet. Invited love her it. and said, a welcome home, Eartha. And, and everyone was shocked by this. And she even said, I took that as a personal message to her uh, that she was welcome back. So this is, now she starts reinventing herself. She ends up writing three autobiographies. She's also mm-hmm. earns another Tony nomination for The Wild Party. She, th- this is her exploring her new world. And also, again, Nine Lives pivots a little bit from what she was doing before mm-hmm. all of this. She ends up also, a lot of her, her stuff was actually back in London uh, throughout the 80s. She appears on a BBC variety show, The Good Old Days, several times, as well as a production of Stephen Sondheim's Follies in the West End. And this was followed by a one-woman show that she did that was a huge success. And in both Follies and the one-woman show, she just would destroy the room with her performance of the song I'm Still Here. Yes. A perfect song for her. And you can look up a performance of that on YouTube. Oh, amazing. It's pretty great. And uh, yeah, just absolutely wonderful. Follies is such a great show as well. And it actually ends up getting a disco hit in 1984. Uh, there was a big nightclub hit called Where Is My Man? And this is actually what sparks her having a nice, close relationship with the LGBTQ community as it was a big hit, especially with the gays. And um, this leads her to giving benefit performances in support of HIV and AIDS. So this is also the same year that she goes to South Africa. She goes to South Africa. I like that you spelled that out phonetically. South Africa. I wrote Africa. (laughs) With four E's at the beginning. That she pissed people off again because she went on tour in South Africa. So the white government in South Africa was hell-bent on enforcing apartheid, who she wanted to perform for an integrated audience. Many blacks and white liberals felt that by going to South Africa, she gave aid and comfort to racists. And thusly, performing in South Africa was banned from most tours and performances. But as the New York Times notes... Kit was typically unapologetic. The tour, she said, played to integrated audiences and helped build schools for black 
black children. So that year she started the organization called Speed, which is Stage Performers Endowment for Educational Development. And they would give Speed to no. the various performers. Yep. No, so let it was stay building up all night, And they would do these 24-hour performances. Did they get the work done or didn't they? Out of the no, Speed will ask every entertainer who comes <laughs> to South Africa to give 2% of his or her earnings toward African That's education. That's one of the really tough parts about trying to, to uphold like principles. I'm demonstrating against this government or this country because of their bad actions. But then you're actually dealing with all these citizens who are not the problem and they have to deal with the, the the consequences of those actions and yes. it's like i get why you could be mad but she was going to see the people you know mm-hmm. it wasn't their fault the government did that no i wish i could see could have seen this show in the 90s she toured as the wicked witch of the west Ugh. in a production of the wizard of oz all over america that would have probably been amazing i'm sure she would have killed it as oh the wicked God, witch of the west please. and then in uh the year 2000 she would become popular all over again with a younger audience as she does the voice of yzma in The Emperor's New Groove, a delightful film, John Goodman, so good. David Spade. There's, it's so funny. She won multiple Annie Awards about uh, for her performance in The Emperor's New Groove. And she was also asked at this point in time how she survived through so many battles and kept reinventing herself and still climbing back on top for decades. And she says, I think it's probably because I stuck to my guns and didn't follow the herd to get into a category. I had the attitude that if the blacks didn't know what to do with me and the whites were confused too, well, I wouldn't be anybody. I would just be me. So I stood my ground and didn't follow the herd. Though if I had, I probably could be making billions. And I wish the hell I were making more money, like Madonna, who imitates Eartha Kitt, or so I'm told. (laughs) It's very flattering, because obviously something of me rubbed off on her, and that's why she sang my song, Santa Baby. She's taken quite a bit from the black community, but anyway. (laughs) Yes, and she still believed herself, even though she's done so much good and has worked so hard to change things. She says, I'm a dirt person, she told Ebony Magazine (laughs) in 1993. I trust the dirt. I don't trust diamonds. And I love gold. that. I I feel like I'm a dirt person. Me too. I did <laughs> give me like chills when I, I read this. Like, Fuck yeah. Her daughter would always say, you know, that's one of the things she just loved working on her garden, uh, especially later in life, working on her home. She liked to she liked to work in the ground and and that sort of thing. More more activism stuff too. She did. She established the Kittsville Youth Foundation in 1966 that helps underprivileged youth in Los Angeles. You already mentioned Rebels with a Cause. These were kids on their own volition going around cleaning up their neighborhood, creating recreational spaces, making their neighborhood better to stay out of trouble. She was a big supporter of them. She also was marching... She marched alongside Dr. Martin Luther King, and she took her show uptown to the Apollo Theater in the 50s and 60s and donated every penny she made from the Apollo audiences to Dr. King's peaceful movement because she believed in his dream, equality for everyone. And that's why she fought so hard for the gay community. She said, we're all rejected people. We know what it is to be refused. We know what it is to be oppressed, depressed, and then accused. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much cognizant of that feeling. Nothing in the world is more painful than rejection. I am a rejected, oppressed person, and so I understand them as best as I can, even though I am heterosexual. She was very open. She's so cool. So eloquent. Way to state that. Like, just what a, just a boom. This is it. 
in this your is face. how I like, feel. I just, doesn't dance around like this is what the this is the way. This is the truth. Like, yes, she was you know? very openly supportive and always had been of gay marriage. She viewed it as a civil rights issue. She said we were not allowed to go through certain doors because of race, our color. It was so stupid that we were not able to sit at the counter of a restaurant because it was only for Anglo-Saxons. Ugh. It's stupid when this country says it was born on freedom for all, but it's freedom for some. That's right. I support gay marriage because we're asking for the same thing. If I have a partner and something happens to me, I want that partner to enjoy the benefits of what we have reaped together. She's so cool. During this time too, uh, I don't know if we're going to, are you going to talk about the documentary that they did about her in the later years? Because I really want to play that clip of her talking about whether she needed to compromise in a relationship or not. (laughs) Yeah, let's hear it. Do you want to set this clip up? Yeah, so she's being interviewed and the interviewer is asking her about if she wants to be in a relationship. And this is in her older years. And her response, it makes me scared, but also um, very (laughs) empowered and excited. And like, I want to fly through the air like super ladies. If a man came into your life, wouldn't you want to compromise? (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) A man comes into my life and I have to compromise? You must think about that one again. I also said, she even said, no man will come near me because they are afraid I am exactly as I am in my shows. And the interviewer asks, and are you? She says, no comment. To tell you the truth, I love men and their company. But if a man comes into my world and he's stupid and doesn't really have anything to talk about, well, after the sex act, then what? So yeah, in her later years, she is besides being at home, working on her home in her garden, she's also regularly making Manhattan cabaret appearances in famous haunts like the Ballroom and Cafe Carlisle. But sadly, on Christmas Day in 2008, Eartha Kitt passed away from colon cancer at the age of 81 with her daughter at her side. Who wants to handle this big old chunker of an amazing quote here? Do you have it in front of you, Jackie? Through it all, she still had the ability to move forward. I saw that in her when she died. The hospice nurse said to me a few weeks before she died, what's going to end up happening is that she's just going to stop drinking water and eating and just slowly fade away. My mother did anything but that. My mother left this world literally screaming at the top of her lungs. Of course, I wasn't prepared for that. Two days before she died, she lost her ability to speak. But at her death, she started screaming. And as a typical daughter, I was screaming back at her. You can go. You can go. My husband is standing in the corner having no idea what to do. She's screaming. And I know she could hear me because the tears were streaming down her face. I'm crying. I'm telling her she can go. But what I saw at that moment was how she survived her entire life. It was her survival instinct that took over at every point in her life. Even then, at that moment... When there was no survival happening, she was not going to go easily without a fight. That is an amazing instinct that she never lost. It just shows what a truly amazing woman she was and that there was a reason for her to be on this planet. Oh, don't go quietly into that good night. Man. Yeah. Just, it is, I, I love this quote that she'd said, I have never yearned to stay young, but rather to stay me. The me committed to embracing her uniqueness, 
The me who feels no shame in championing and cherishing herself. The me who accepts aging as a natural process, not a disease, and who says thank you, thank you when I take care of myself. Yes, bitch. I love I that. love her. I love her. <laughs> and of course, I'll finish out with a quote from Jackie's father. Thank you. I never really heard of Eartha Kit. I'm just a dinosaur, <laughs> a simple dinosaur that lives in a bizarre cave. You I don't even know how I'm allowed to exist. And, with me. <laughs> wait a second. Is that a chicken coming into my cave? <laughs> oh, no. And the dinosaur and the chicken had the, some of the filthiest sex I, could, I can't even describe. It's going to rip that chicken in half. I'd like to watch I, it. Yeah. I, I would watch it. See, as long as, the, as long as the chicken was consenting, okay? Um, I wanted to just throw in there, too, at the end, which is I, this thing blew my mind. Um, it's not that surprising, but I guess I wish it was surprising, is whenever she... Um, during the after the time she came sort of back after the Carter thing and she wasn't as um, blacklisted, she was being interviewed and she was talking about how she didn't have any idea of who her family was. She didn't know what her birth certificate was. And she kind of just put it out there that she wanted to find her birth certificate. And this group of college students like found it for her. And so she went to the place where it was being stored in some like birth certificate depot or whatever it was. And um they had the person who was there to give it to her had their hand over part of it and was like i can't let you know all of this because your father's name is on it and legally at at the time if they weren't married if the uh, husband and wife weren't married the uh, husband's name or the father's name was not legally allowed to be shown Mm. so her fa- they had her father's name on the birth certificate. They would not show it to her. If she wanted to know it, she ha- would have to go to court to find out, to fight to get to know who her father was because they protected his name and his family because it was so shameful for the man that she would have had to have legally fought to know what his name was. And that is bullshit to the highest degree. And one of the reasons that you know, we have to deal with women's rights and black rights because of this kind of shit that just, it wasn't that long ago, guys, no. when she was born. And also, that was in the late 90s when she was looking at the birth certificate. So that yeah. also wasn't that long ago. No, yeah, it was still a thing she would have had to have fought for because it was, he was pr- allowed to protect himself from the shame of that. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our episode on Eartha Kit. Thank you so much for joining us. This was such an amazing week of research for me. I know I can say, probably say the same for Jackie and Natalie. For if sure. you'd like to check us out further, patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. There's weekly bonus content, a ton of it. So check it out for just $5 a month. Check me out, twitch.tv forward slash hold later. So with Jackie, Friday night, 6 p.m. ET. It's always a party for Jackanese uh, ladies. Yeah, we smile and we're having fun. And thank you so much for <laughs> the kid. My name is Jackie Sprowski. You can follow me on Instagram at Jack that worm. <laughs> Natalie. <laughs> you can follow me at the Natty Jean and page 7 LPN on all that stuff. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. We love you. Bye. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 